ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Noel Husky Schneider. Coming up later in today's feature report on Rigay Sands with the Indiana Environmental Reporter, we'll talk about the Energy Policy Bill, which covers the contents of the Indiana General Assembly's new Energy Policy Bill. And now for your environmental reports. IndyStar reports that every year, when the list of new bills for the Indiana Legislative Session posts, Hoosiers may feel dizzy with deja vu. Various bills, ones that would protect the environment and Hoosiers from pollution, develop solutions to a changing climate or ensure consumers' utility bills stay affordable, keep popping up year after year, and over and over again, they have died. During recent legislative sessions, Dozens of bills with a stated aim of safeguarding the environment and public health have failed to pass out of committee. Others never even received a hearing. In fact, during the 2021 session, the House of Environmental Affairs Committee did not meet once in the first half session despite having more than 10 bills to look at. While advocates and some lawmakers say these bills are important to solve environmental problems, others question at what cost. Throughout the years, some groups and legislators have raised concern over the potential impacts additional laws could have on industry throughout the state. Such pushback and lack of urgency has kept many environmental-related bills stagnant. Our legislators are either unaware or don't care about the costs from climate change. The fires are in California. There's no drought in Indiana. Yes, ocean level rise will destroy vulnerable cities such as Miami Beach at a cost of $37 billion, Gavelston at $5 billion, Ocean City, Maryland at $6 billion, Hilton Head Island at $11 billion, and Hylia, Florida at $8 billion. As none of those locations are in Indiana, there apparently is no reason for action. The House Environmental Affairs Committee for 2023 is made up of eight Republicans and four Democrats. The members are Alan Morrison, who is a Republican and the chair of the committee. Kendall Culp is a Republican and is vice chair. The ranking member is Sue Arrington, a Democrat. Other members include Corey Criswell, Republican, Michael J. Ellsworth, Republican, Shane Lindauer, Republican, Doug Miller, Republican, Lindsey Patterson, Republican, Zach Payne, Republican, Maureen Bauer, Democrat, Patricia Boy, Democrat, and Carolyn Jackson, Democrat. You are encouraged to write to them expressing your desire to see changes in Indiana regarding the environment and climate change. The address is 200 West Washington Street, Minneapolis, Indiana, 46204. This writer wrote to all members last year and received only one reply. 
We need to keep pushing and letting our legislators know how we feel. The majority of Indiana's electricity has and continues to come from coal. When coal is burned, it produces a byproduct called coal ash. Coal ash needs to be stored somewhere, and Indiana has more coal ash ponds than any other state in the country. Coal ash contains an alphabet soup of toxic chemicals including mercury, arsenic, cadmium, and other heavy metals that pollute waterways, poison wildlife, and cause respiratory illnesses. Indiana is among the worst states in the country when it comes to cleaning up its toxic coal ash pits. Environmental experts, advocates, and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency say states need to clean them up. While other states are taking steps to safely clean those pits, Indiana is not. Representative Pat Boy, who has ash ponds in her district, has proposed cleanup bills, but they were never heard. So she is added again with HB 1190, which would require the owner and operator of an ash impoundment to remove all the ash and return the site to stable conditions. Also, SB 399 would create conditions that require the removal of coal ash and also stipulates ways it can be used safely. The following article gives you an example of how industries do not follow the rules. More than 100 coal ash waste sites, many unregulated, sit just feet from the Great Lakes, raising concerns for nearby communities and the 30 million people who rely on the lakes for drinking water. Earth Justice estimates that there are more than 57 million cubic yards of toxic coal ash waste at plants near the Great Lakes, enough to fill more than 17,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. A common sentiment by residents is that they've had a lot of industries that polluted the land, made their profits, and just left us with some huge messes that we as taxpayers have had to clean up. The polluters have not been held accountable. The Coal Combustion Residual Rule, which the EPA passed in 2015, requires coal plants to safely dispose of coal ash and clean up any coal ash sites that threaten groundwater quality. However, a report by Earth Justice last November revealed that there has been pervasive noncompliance with the rule as over 90% of regulated coal plants continue to contaminate groundwater. Inside Climate Change reports that a coal-fired plant near Gillette, Wyoming, stands alone in the nation on one measure of economic viability. A positive distinction for that plant, but a damning one for coal-fired electricity in general. Dry Fork Station, with generating capacity of 405 megawatts, is the only coal plant in the country that costs less to operate than it would take to replace the plant's output by building new wind or solar plants in the same communities or regions, according to a new report issued today by the Think Tank Energy Innovation. The report joins prior editions in 2019 and 2021 that, when viewed together, show how the economics of coal power are deteriorating. In 2019, the authors found that more than 70% of coal plants were more expensive to operate compared to the alternative of building new wind or solar. That share has now grown to 99%, with the only plant in Wyoming stopping it from being 100%. The shift is due in large part to the Inflation Reduction Act, signed in August, which had several incentives to make wind and solar less expensive. 
At this point, there's no evidence that Indiana will shift from coal or create conditions favorable to wind and solar. ExxonMobil and Chevron, the nation's largest oil companies and two of the biggest energy corporations globally, posted a combined profit of $92 billion for 2022, more money than either company has ever made. Exxon's annual profit for 2022 reached $55.7 billion, the company reported, with Chevron posting a net profit of $36.5 billion for the year. Their European counterparts are expected to report similarly high results soon. More than anything, those historic profits are a reminder of how dependent the global economy remains on oil and gas, even as calls for more urgent climate action grow and scientific research continues to suggest that the consequences of global warming are accelerating far quicker than previously believed. Last year, researchers published yet another peer-reviewed study warning that the more ambitious 1.5 degree target of the Paris Agreement is now beyond reach. The study was published in the journal Proceedings in the National Academy of Sciences, predicted that average global warming will rise and stay above 1.5 degrees Celsius from pre-industrial levels within a decade and 2 degrees Celsius by mid-century, far earlier than previously forecasted, even if greenhouse gas emissions are substantially cut. Those findings are prompting fresh calls from climate scientists to more rapidly slash the world's rising greenhouse gas emissions caused predominantly by the continued combustion of fossil fuels. The planet has already warmed between 1.1 to 1.2 degrees Celsius on average since the Industrial Revolution data shows, fueling the kind of destructive storms, wildfires, and floods that have become noticeably more common in recent years. At 1.5 degrees, scientists warn that a cascade of climate tipping points will boost the likelihood of such extreme weather events even more, with catastrophic and irreversible consequences, including billions of people facing chronic water scarcity, accelerating mass extinctions, and rising ocean levels. Most published forecasts now predict the temperature will rise by 3 to 5 degrees Celsius by 2100. Now, as oil companies report record high profits, it's re-sparking the debate over what role, if any, the fossil fuel industry should take in the clean energy transition and whether oil majors will use their windfalls to speed the development of renewables or slow them down. But many in the climate movement don't trust that the oil companies are being sincere when they talk about addressing climate change, pointing to a growing body of evidence that shows that industry executives have known for decades that their petroleum products were causing harmful climate change, but engaged in public relations campaigns that downplayed and denied those threats. The oil majors continue to devote the vast majority of their spending on their core businesses and increasingly on rewarding their investors. Last week, Chevron announced it would spend $75 billion to buy back its own shares and increase stock prices, a step that Exxon 
had also taken last year. It's unclear how Exxon plans to spend its current windfall, but the company did release new details of a plan to build what would be the world's largest low-carbon hydrogen plant, a technology that has been criticized by climate activists as a distraction for more proven climate solutions like wind and solar energy. What these developments have shown is that oil companies will put profit above us and above the planet, and so we would be fools to trust them. A bill authored by State Senator Gene Leasing, which would inventory the number of electric cars in Indiana, has passed the Senate unanimously during the current session. Senate Bill 241 would require the Indiana Bureau of Motor Vehicles to annually report the number of registered electrical vehicles by county to the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission. Quote, there is an increasing interest to integrate electric vehicles into the automobile market, end quote, Leasing said. If more residents continue to purchase electric cars, it is important for our energy sector to be able to withstand the increased need for electricity. This bill would help our utility companies prepare for and continue to support the growing demand. SB 241 will now move on to the Indiana House of Representatives for further consideration. There are several challenges before the legislature. The body has continued to emphasize coal and place barriers to wind and solar. The legislature is enamored with small nuclear reactors and carbon capture. Both technologies will require huge investments and would drive the cost of a kilowatt hour of energy much higher. And now Enrique Sanz with the Environmental Reporter will discuss the energy policy bill which covers the contents of the Indiana General Assembly's new energy policy bill. Future energy decisions made in the state could soon have to officially account for a handful of considerations ranging from the availability and price of the energy to its effect on the environment. And utilities could soon get the green light from lawmakers to begin charging customers for natural gas power plants before they provide a single electron of electricity. To get a chance to become a law, bills dealing with utilities or energy matters that are introduced in the Indiana House of Representatives have to get past a big hurdle, the House Committee on Utilities, Energy, and Telecommunications. If they're not heard by the committee, chances are they're going nowhere. The committee recently approved two bills we're going to look at today that deals with the state's energy future. First, let's look at House Bill 1007. The committee unanimously approved the passage of House Bill 1007, authored by Representatives Ed Soliday, Chris Jeter, and Sharon Nagel, which would make it official state policy to consider five attributes of generation when making decisions concerning the state's electric generation mix, infrastructure, and rate making. Soliday said the bill was inspired by findings from the Indiana 21st Century Energy Task Force and calls from the governor and state entities like the Indiana Chamber of Commerce for the Indiana General Assembly to set an energy policy for the state. The bill would require state lawmakers and officials to consider the reliability, affordability, resiliency, stability, and environmental sustainability of electric utility service when making energy decisions. This is how Representative Ed Soliday defined reliability. Reliability means when you flip the switch, the light goes on. 
Indiana has had a reliable electric supply, with few exceptions. In 2022, electric utilities in the state were involved in just three events the U.S. Energy Information Administration called major disturbances and unusual occurrences. Soliday told the committee the state nearly experienced a major outage around Christmas due to a lack of resources across the national grid when an Arctic cold front brought extremely cold temperatures and blizzard conditions to the region. We'll go into what happened and what role natural gas power plants played a little later. But here's essentially what happened. There was no gas to buy on the market. Those companies that didn't have contracts and didn't have generation capacity that were hedging had none to buy. So the warning is if you don't reduce load, you'll have rolling brownouts and rolling blackouts, something you don't want in the dead of winter and the heat of summer. Soliday said the state should also consider the affordability of electricity in its decisions. You've been watching carefully, prices have been rising. Price of coal was $50 a year ago, today it's $300. Price of natural gas two years ago was $1.89. It's been all over the place. It's been as high as nine, probably around four right now. I haven't looked this morning. Very, very volatile. And that is a big chunk of rates. Electric utilities in Indiana have asked the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission to approve substantial rate increases to keep up higher fuel costs. Between 2019 and 2022, the average monthly residential electric bills for investor-owned utility customers have risen between 13 and 14 percent. That's according to IURC Electric Residential Bill Surveys. Recent rate increases by Duke Energy Indiana, AES Indiana, NIPSCO, and Centerpoint Energy will result in customers paying even more per month. Price is going to go up. Somebody's got to pay for it. But we need to control that price for Hoosiers for two reasons. One, for the average consumer, but also for the businesses. When they have to pay more for energy, they're going to pay less for employees and employment. Kerwin Olson, executive director of the Citizens Action Coalition, asked lawmakers to clarify language in the affordability section of the bill that calls for affordable and competitive rates. We also feel the need, at least with respect to residential service, primarily low-income, fixed-income households, bringing some sort of definition into what is affordable or even what is unaffordable, recognizing that, generally speaking, you know, greater than 6% of a customer's household income is considered an unaffordable utility bill. Next is resiliency, which Solidity defined as the ability to prepare for and recover from off-nominal events like extreme weather events. Human activity, like the release of greenhouse gases by using fossil fuels, has caused extreme changes in the Earth's climate. According to the American Meteorological Society, climate change has caused weather around the world to become more extreme driving unprecedented heat waves, floods, and droughts in recent years. Those types of events have stressed electrical grids to the breaking point. Soliday said the state's focus should include resiliency in its conversations about affordability. If we put so much downward pressure on price and we have a tornado go through and they're not able to put the manpower there, you're gonna wait a long time to get your electricity back. Whether it's an REMC or a regular company. 
HB 1007 would require state actions to think about stability, which Soliday defines as the ability of an electric system to maintain a state of equilibrium and deliver electricity at a frequency and voltage within defined parameters. Fluctuation in voltage or frequency can destroy, quite frankly, in some steel production, depending on the length of that instability, you can literally melt down the ladle in which the steel is. Eli Lilly, hugely dependent. You can destroy an entire batch of pharmaceuticals with fluctuation. Soliday said the bill would encourage companies to purchase technology that would help the adoption of renewable energy, like batteries and other technology that compensates for fluctuations when solar arrays are covered. Soliday also said future state energy decisions should consider environmental sustainability because of the demand for a sustainable approach. Here's what I know, there's a market. Every single company before the IEDC right now is asking for renewable energy. If we want to compete in the global market, we have to be willing to address environment. And not only that, I think anybody who doesn't want clean air, I don't know what their problem is. But instead of debating those things that are hot button issues, show me there isn't a market. We have to address that issue. We have to be willing to embrace it. Most of the electricity produced in the state is made in plants powered by coal or natural gas, resources that release large amounts of greenhouse gases. The state is becoming one of the top states for renewable energy installations, but state and local legislation, backed by some utility companies or fossil fuel-funded organizations, have hampered their adoption. In 2017, state lawmakers passed a law phasing out net metering, a billing mechanism used to encourage solar system ownership. That mechanism allowed solar energy system owners to get paid for the electricity they added to the grid. Net metering was replaced by the excess distributed generation tariff, which pays solar owners much less for the energy they produce. Residential solar installations dropped 93% after the net metering bill was passed in 2017. Local ordinances spurred by misinformation have blocked several major wind energy installations from being built, including the planned Roaming Bison Wind Farm in Montgomery County. Indiana now ranks 12th in the nation for installed wind energy capacity and 20th in total installed solar capacity. HB 1007 would also establish a study on performance-based rate making and codify how much capacity utilities should be able to fulfill through generation or purchasing electricity from other sources. The bill would also require electric utilities to have a plan to be able to produce or purchase 85% of the peak energy demands. The bill was unanimously approved by the committee and passed the Indiana House of Representatives with only one vote against. The bill now heads to the Indiana Senate for consideration. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, 
and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. The next winter hike series at Brown County State Park will be about wildfire ecology on Saturday, February 11th from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Brown County State Park has its own wildfire burn every year. You will learn about the burn area, wildfire ecology, wildland firefighting strategies, and the effect the fire has on the park. The hike is about three miles long and very rugged. Dress for the weather and meet at the Nature Center. Learn how to build your own radio telescope at the Do-It-Yourself Hydrogen Line Radio Astronomy class at the Switchyard Park Picnic Shelter from 7.45 to 8.45 p.m. on Saturday, February the 11th. You will be using easily obtainable materials, and maybe, just maybe, you will get to see the rare green comet with your very own telescope. Dress for the weather. Sign up at bloomington.in.gov slash parks. The 22nd Annual Great Backyard Bird Count will be held on Friday, February 15th through Monday, February 18th. All you have to do is count birds for as little as 15 minutes or as long as you want during the four-day event. Go, go to the official website at birdcount.org for more information. The Community Gardening Organization will have their next gardening class on planting for a rainy day. How to build gardens with stormwater in mind on Wednesday, February the 15th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the Allison Jukebox Community Center. Learn how to beautify your home and provide wildlife habitat while reducing the flow of stormwater into storm drains. Sign up at bloomington.in.gov slash parks. Enjoy a winter tree ID workshop at Spring Mill State Park on Thursday, February 16th from 6 to 8 p.m. The White River Forestry Committee will discuss trees in southern Indiana. Learn how to identify trees in winter without the benefit of leaves using form, twigs, bark, and branching character. Reservations are required at TD. L-I-G-M-A-N at A-T-T dot N-E-T or call Tina at 812-278-0139. EcoReport is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Juliana Daly. Our feature was prepared and presented by Enrique Sands with The Environmental Reporter. Our script today was assembled by Juliana Daly and edited by Patrick Callanan. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced today's show and edited the audio. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider.
and this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.